We Are SC podcast Sunday morning cornerback edition. Uh, Gary Pasquitz joined by Daryl Rideau. And, uh, Daryl, we're sitting here the morning after, uh, USC with a 49-35 victory over Arizona to improve to 8-2. and 6-1 and one overall in the Pac-12. And what that basically means is, uh, putting themselves in a very good position for a berth in the Pac-12 title game. Basically, you win one of your next two games. You beat Colorado next week. Uh, it doesn't matter either way what happens with UCLA. You're in for the Pac-12 title game. Um, but it wasn't easy getting there. It was a kind of an up-and-down game, not always smooth. But we're going to kind of talk about three distinct, almost halves of the game. Um, yeah. But the, like this Trojan team always does, they found a way to win. You know, and what's interesting, Gary, is this was a very precarious game because if you didn't have a chance to watch it due to the fact that it aired so late, the, the, the kickoff was probably closer to 8 o'clock than 7.45 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you look at just the score at the end and you see 49 to 35, you think, okay, well, you know, USC took care of business. Maybe uh, the backups were in. But no, Gary, like you talked about. At the beginning of the game, I thought USC came out with the right game plan to really assert themselves and, and demonstrate a, a certain amount of physicality that they wanted to bring to the game. Ball control, you know, um, really heavy dominating the, that first series with with a fury of run plays that I thought were very effective and, and really energized the Coliseum with the the type of physicality that this team can play with. You know, but then, like many other drives throughout the year, you get into the red zone, and for some reason, it just it just feels like this team tends to go off script and misses the mark when it comes to riding the momentum of the play calling that led you into the red zone. And in opportune time on that first drive, Gary, around the one yard line. And USC decides to throw the ball in the middle of the field where there's a lot of hands, a lot of traffic, and the ball gets picked. That, to me, could have been very deflating, but this is a very mature and veteran team that seems to overcome their own miscues. Wait, was, was, I, I'm sorry, Darryl, was that the first drive? Or that was, was the first that, drive, yeah. I thought the first drive was, was when we turned it over on downs. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, we, okay, we turned so it over on, on down. But but that goes, that goes back to another point, and I'm ranting here, okay, a little bit. But but the numbers tell you, take the points early in the game. We don't have to chase seven. We don't have to chase touchdowns. Your defense is good enough to keep you in games. Why are we chasing points? I, I never understood why this team – when they get in the red zone, they feel as though they have to mat wit for wit with every team that they play when by kicking a field goal, getting points on the board is a victory in itself. And I'm curious about your thoughts on why it appears as though inside the red zone that this team is adamant about going for it on fourth down when statistically that hasn't been uh, – that, that hasn't gone in their favor. Yeah, it, it seems like the decision making at times. There are times where I very much agree with it, and then there are times I very much don't, because um, it doesn't seem like it follows a pattern. Sometimes down there, I had no problem on, on that particular one going for it, only be, well, primarily because of what you were talking about with the way that the drive went. 
You were running the ball so well. You were picking up big chunks. And it almost surprised me when we were faced with a fourth down and short. It was like, wow, this drive has been going so well. Right. And all of a sudden, there's a fourth down and short. So I I, I had no problem with going for it on that one. It didn't happen. But you know what I loved was the pick-me-up by Michael Pittman. Immediately after that. Okay, offense, you didn't get it done. You fell short. Let me go ahead and block a punt here, and then nice for Jalen Green to come into the end zone. Michael Pittman's starting to make some plays as he's getting healthy, Daryl. He truly is, and it just – it it really kind of gives you an indication as to why going into the season there was so much um, optimism for his play. And now that he's starting to round into shape and really, you know, kind of coming back into his own – you re- you remember why they recruited him and his big play capability. But I think whenever you make plays like that on special teams, it's an unselfish play that you're making for the team because it's not in the act of catching the ball as a wide receiver. It's really doing the, the, the gritty and dirty work that nobody wants to do but you absolutely need. And it wasn't so long ago, Kerry, that this was a team that would lay their head down in defeat when things didn't go well for them. But now you're seeing three aspects of the game that ultimately are standing on their own and are um, on special teams, defense, and, of course, offensively that are all capable of being playmakers or, or making the necessary plays to keep this team in the game or still in the deal. And that's what you have to love about what you saw about Pittman's effort and the recovery by Green. And Green, too. I, I, I agree with that. And Jalen also had a couple passes in the game, so good to see him getting back in the mix. And that was one of the, let's stick with that for a minute. Guys who, you know, were used to the Darnolds, the Cameron Smiths, and Uchenna Wusus, but like you say, all of a sudden now here's a Michael Pittman, here's a Jalen Green, also here's a Cedric Ware. I want to hit on the, I want to stay on the offensive side of the ball for a minute. Okay. And, and, and go over to what Ronald Jones and said where we're able to do early. I like the way we stuck with the run, but I like the way that we got said where involved, and not just a couple token carries here and there. Um, we, 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 in fact, we even thought that second role this week would have been Stephen Carr. And good right. to see him get whatever action he got. But there became a point when you saw that it was going to be Ware getting a lot of touches, none, none more bigger than the drive after after Rojo breaks off on a 98-yard run, touchdown run, a beautiful run, obviously, gets called back because of a penalty. And Aka Cedric Weirdale takes over for the rest of that drive, and he takes it from the two-yard line. You know, I think they put it back to the five after the penalty, yep. um, all the way down to the one-yard line. Um, of Arizona, and said accounted for 74 yards of that drive, but you and many other people noticed his reaction when the play call from the one was a pass by Sam Darnold. Right, right, and and that's the play that I alluded to a little earlier, you know, so I'm not going to harp on that, but I will talk about just Ware's ability to come in and really look very comfortable in that role, Gary. It it was almost as though this was a coming out party for him, recognizing what was expected of him, but that breather that he was able to give Ronald Jones um, I thought proved dividends later in the game when we were going to need both of them at their best. But uh, I, I thought that this was probably the most complete game that we've seen of Akasedric Ware uh, in his SC career. And the the emotion that, that he felt knowing that he was at the one-yard line and not having an opportunity to seal the deal kind of reminded me of the Seattle play against New England when um, – Seattle gets down, you know, inside the red zone, 
inside the five-yard line and elected to pass the ball instead of giving handing the ball off to Marshawn Lynch in similar situations in terms of downs. Now, obviously, the stakes were higher in that game than they were in this game at the at the um, the juncture of the game. But my point is, sometimes you know we we tend to stick to the the numbers or the script on the on the chart instead of recognizing the moment and rewarding the player who got you to the one yard line. But credit Aka Cedric Ware for the way that he did respond and being really I think the ultimate team player. You know, recognizing his role and doing whatever is necessary and whatever's been asked of him. Oh, and I think especially when it's a guy who has not seen a ton of success, a ton of work in, in his time there, a very respected guy on the team. Daryl, he, he had five plays on that drive of 10 yards or more, um, including a beautiful screen pass. I thought that was a very well executed oh, yeah. play. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, that kind of guy in that situation gets the ball down to the one. You, you, you give it to him every chance you get. I would have loved to have seen him punch that in. Uh, but, but you know what's amazing, Gary, about what, what we're talking about right now? We're talking about role players kind of no stepping doubt. in and filling no out. And that's what we've grown accustomed to over the years when USC went on these championship runs. In order to have a championship-like run, you have to have players understand their role and recognize when your key players who you depend upon throughout the year aren't available for you, you step in and you're able to ignite and spark. And that's what I thought Ware did amongst others, including Pittman. I agree. Let's uh, let's flip it over and talk some defense in the first half because uh, yeah. I'll say what I, what I liked most of all about that first half where uh, – just the way that you slowed down to Khalil Tate, uh, all this talk of what he was going to do uh, in this game in, in the first half. He had 12 rushes for 19 net yards, and uh, the Trojans held Arizona to 91 total yards. Uh, tell us what, what you saw from Clancy's scheme that you liked. Gary, first half, uh, Tate, Khalil Tate looked pedestrian. And you know it had to frustrate him. Being home, having played at Sarah, many of his former teammates are, are playing at USC, and you know he wanted to shine and ball out in the first half. But they kept him contained. And what I love about the defensive architecture, um, architect being Clancy Pendergast and his scheme going with the wide nine technique, loosening out those defensive ends, and in really fanning out those outside linebackers, we talked about it, um, Ayosefa and, um, and Chinawusu, getting those guys out wider, forcing Khalil and, and, and that Arizona offense behind Rich Rod, forcing them to run in between the tackles and the guards. I thought that their game plan, they wanted to try to control the edge, and in the first half, Arizona's offense was frustrated because of USC's ability to kind of corral them. Then what I also like, Gary, and kudos to Isaiah Langley, filling in for Iman Biggie Marshall, but being able to play very admirable at the corner position in man coverage. Uh, between him and Jack Jones, being able to, uh, to defend those receivers without uh, safety help allowed for Josh Hawkins. I'm, I'm, I keep calling him Josh Hawkins. Sorry, Chris Hawkins. Yeah, and um, and Marvell Tell to play games, and we call it a seesaw technique, where if the tight end shifts over, uh, the 
the safety away from the tight end now creeps down in the box and becomes a defender who is unaccounted for in the running game. And I thought that their ability to spy or lurk, depending on the terminology that they use, to, to spy on Khalil Tate frustrated and it rattled them in the first half. And I thought that the game plan by Clancy was brilliant and very effective. Okay, so so at halftime, we're feeling really good. Um, like you say, pedestrian, that's a very good word for it, uh, for how Tate looked in the first half. In the second half, uh, right from the start, very first drive, we stop uh, Arizona, but then after the final third down play at the stop, an unsportsmanlike penalty on Jane Harris and Jackie Jones. What did you see? Well, it was interesting because – uh, from my vantage point, I thought uh, Janie Harris and, and Jackie Jones did the right thing. There wasn't an initial whistle, so I was always taught that you finish the play. Because if it goes under review, and there's a possibility that the, the play is overturned and it is deemed a fumble, and you finish the play and it could ultimately end up being a touchdown. But go back, Gary, to earlier in the game when USC sideline was assessed um, a warning. So on that play, it appeared as though Coach Helton stepped onto the field. And so I thought the penalty might have been directed towards him, but it felt like it was targeted towards a Jamie Harris and Jack Jones. So I think statistically it might have been awarded to uh, Coach Helton for stepping onto the field. But in any case, it just felt like the start of a bad quarter because the penalties kept mounding, and as a result of that, it really disrupted the flow and the rhythm of, of USC's offense, and then it threw the defense off off their game too. And that, it seemed like um, Arizona took advantage of the, the turmoil that felt like was mounting amongst USC's sideline and the officiating, which felt a little one-sided. But Khalil Tate was able to get hot in that third quarter when it felt like the Coliseum was lacking the energy as a result of all the penalties that that, that quarter um, turned out. Yeah, in the first half, USC had six penalties for 54 yards. In the third quarter alone, they had six penalties for 49 yards. So basically matched it in one quarter. And it was um, just the timing of those penalties. I thought that that, that oh, was they, they, they were just for Yeah, it, it was not a good night for the referees, no. Um, okay, so, so, so Khalil Tate gets hot in the third quarter. Um, was it something they did, adjustments that you saw? Was it, uh, oh, yeah, no doubt. Something that, Okay, what did you see? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no doubt. You know, and like I said, I talked about how um, the defensive ends for SC were, were using a, a wider technique. Mm-hmm. Well, rather than keeping Tate in the pocket, I thought that they did a good job of moving him up in the pocket and then fanning him out, giving him a chance to develop rhythm and really moving, moving his uh, his launching points. So when they started effectively moving him there uh, in the backfield and then getting the running backs out late. It gave him almost that run-pass option. As the defense started to suffocate and collapse towards the line of scrimmage, it gave him some easy targets to dump off to get his confidence back up. But make no mistake about it, when when that, when that he passes the line of scrimmage, he is no longer a quarterback. At his size, about 215 pounds, he is as explosive and dynamic as an offensive weapon as there is in all of college football. And what I thought that he did a great job was was 
maintaining his composure and being able to get into a rhythm which effectively really kind of got them going. And once they got going, it was hard to stop that offense. And now you understand why leading into this game that Arizona became one of the hottest teams in the country. No, no doubt about it. It was as if a switch was flipped. Like we use the word, you use the word pedestrian earlier, and that's what it was. But in the third quarter, uh, oh, oh no, it, it was no, it was no longer pedestrian what he was doing, and, and you saw how good it be. So he starts to bring them back, and into the fourth quarter, eventually there's yeah. a point where the game is tied in the fourth quarter. But uh, that is closing time. And, and, and Daryl Clay Helton talks so much about the identity of this football team and the way he wants it to be a team that yeah. can run the ball to close games out when it matters. Right. Um, and you also right. have Sam Darnold. And I want to give you a couple statistics on, on, on these guys and what they did in the fourth quarter. Uh, Sam Darnold was 6 of 7 for 94 yards with three touchdown drives. The running wow. game, <laughs> The running game in the fourth quarter alone – 18 carries, 169 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah. Gary, you, you got that initial reaction because it didn't feel like that. I mean, for three quarters, it really didn't feel like Darnold had, you know, had composure and was able to really orchestrate and control things through the air. It really felt ground heavy. And, and naturally, they rushed over 300 yards. <laughs> right. You know? But, we ran the ball um, twice as much as we threw it in this game. Right, right, right. But 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 you know, be, before that offense sparked, it was the play of a Jane Harris intercepting a, a pass from Khalil that felt like turned this whole game around and shifted the momentum back to SC. And, and that's why I always attribute this particular team who plays gritty. Sometimes they give up leads and, and make some bonehead plays. But this is one of the best counterpunching teams that, I, that that I've ever come across. Where when you make a mistake, they pounce on you, and they just keep coming at you, and 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 that's why with the maturity of this group, Gary, that's why I think that they are so effective, and their confidence soars in the fourth quarter, and Darnold can get hot, um, and you know, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about just the presence of um, Daniel. Um, Imadator Bebe, uh -huh. yes. His presence on the field alone, allowing that offense to go four wide receivers or four – to spread the receiver um, – the receiving core four wide across, putting him in one slot and then Burnett in the other, now balances the powers. It forces teams now to have to play across the board, and it allows for guys like Darnold to identify the mismatch. Moving forward for these, uh, this game against Colorado – I expect USC to exploit that more. But because of that balance, now that widens the running lanes, and it allowed for Rojo to get going. And, man, when he gets going, there's nobody more explosive in all of college football than him um, behind, uh, behind the quarterback. Let me give you a couple of some numbers here on the run game. Uh, Rojo, 27 carries, 194 yards, three touchdowns, and that's what the 98-yarder called back. Um, but it also, Daryl, gives him uh, over a 1,000 for the season. Uh, first back-to-back -back USC 1,000-yard tailback since Lendale. That's always a big number for me with a USC tailback. Congratulations, Rojo. 
Congratulations, Rojo. And he earned it because of the commitment that he made during the offseason. He bulked up a little bit, got stronger, and softened those hands up too, Gary. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought he a, – a beautiful catch out of the backfield and when when Darnold was able to find him yeah, down bro. the field. <laughs> you, that, you know, that, that, so. that was nice. And then and, and um, that Aka Cedric, 14 carries, 122 yards, including a including a 42-yarder to start the fourth quarter. Start um, the fourth quarter. Yeah, that was real nice. D- D- Daryl, I want to end this talking about two guys um, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, we-, we talk about this game being a game you, you mentioned of role players, uh, you know Pittman, those guys like that. Uh, John Houston and Jordan Neoseva. John Houston, ten tackles, led the team, one pick, the first of his career, and bragging rights over his high school quarterback. That's always big. You know that. You remember the game with Chris Lewis. Uh, no Jordan Neoseva, eight tackles, second on the team in his first game at a new role, one sack, one forced fumble. First game in the new position against Khalil Tate. Get, talk about those two guys and what they did. You know, and I'll start with Houston because emotionally sometimes when you go up against – uh, you know, some, someone who you're very familiar with, and being Khalil Tate, his his high school quarterback, the emotions can get the best of you, and you don't always play at your best when when that happens. But for him to to be composed and to put the type of production that he was um, at a time when I felt like this team needed him most, um, I thought his play was remarkable because so much is being asked of you. When you're going up against a, a very explosive quarterback who was averaging 150 yards coming into this game, but it was the play where he um, snatched the ball out and it was end up, end up getting an interception. I thought it was because of guys like Christian Rector putting that on film against Texas earlier in the season. Showing younger guys how to finish plays, that a play is not over because someone possesses the ball. Until their knee is down or until they're on the ground, the play is still the play is still alive, and Houston made the most of his efforts and was able to get the ball back. And I know that he'll always remember that interception based on how physical he needed to be to yank that ball out. But when you talk about ISF, Jordan playing a role that's very unfamiliar against a talent like Tate, you know, much is being asked of you when you play in space. When you when you're not in the confines of being in the interior part of the the uh, the linebacking core where you have help to the left and to the right of you, when you have to play in space sometimes, that is the most scariest thing. Much like a golfer putting the ball, a lot of thoughts go through your head, or a, a basketball player at the free throw line. A lot of thoughts go through your head because you're giving a player three directions to go. They're either going to run through you or around you, left or right. And for Ayasefa to to play the way that he did, to understand his angles, to get his hands on the ball, and, 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 you know, and to be in the backfield and become disruptive, you can't say enough about him filling in that role that took – it felt like Gustin – Porter Gustin, it took him a year and a half to really become who he is today, uh, minus the injury that he suffered. So for him to step in in short time, short order – and give you that kind of production, you can't say enough about the preparation and the, the commitment that he made and sacrifice that um, Jordan made for his team. And one of the things that really impressed me was just how comfortable he looked uh, in, in, in that role. Like you say, that's not an easy one to do, and uh, it, it looked from the very beginning, looked like he was going to be just fine. So uh, Trojans come back next week with Colorado, and, and like we say, a victory there. Um, 
puts them in the very good position. So Daryl sitting in eight and two right now, like you say, for all the ups and downs that we've seen, um, you have navigated and put yourself in position to compete for a Pac-12 title. Got to like that. And I want to say one last thing about the season. You know, to a a man and and all fans, the season hasn't gone the way that USC would like it to go in terms of style points. But make no mistake about it. They still control their own destiny as it pertains to the Pac-12 South. And if you're across town at UCLA – their season hasn't gone the way you want it to go. They want it to have gone either. But they would trade USC's position any day of the week. And so for this team to still be in a position to control its own destiny and still have two games that really kind of polish up and finish the season strong, we need to be more supportive of what this team is doing despite how they're winning games. I think a lot of people will hear that loud and clear right now. Um, Trojans sitting at eight and two, and uh, coming off a forty-nine thirty-five victory over Arizona. For Dover Doe, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SE podcast.